Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 6th, 2013. For newcomers, help yourself to the audios at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's, oh, I don't know how many other, maybe one and a half thousand by now, audios up there for download. Where I go through the system you're born into, a completely controlled system, of course, incredibly controlled and, and connected in all areas by a, a, a capstone, you might call it. I always think of it like a capstone at the top. And the massive tentacles all over uh, all the sides of the pyramids, managing everything, every layer of stones and so on, right down to the bottom level where we all are, of course, with the weeds down at the bottom of the pyramid, you'll see in a dollar bill. So I go through the system of the rich men who got together a long time ago and formed their organizations, very ambitious ones too, and Mind you, not really the money game for centuries, managing countries' monies and so on. And so they knew they could do this by really forming their own club to take over all the resources of the world. And not only that, take over all the politics of the world too. And then form trading blocks which they'd own and control and the trading routes and the shipping lines and all the rest of it. Plus they'd also uh, get a new system for world government set up. And that was all done, as I say, over a 100 years ago. And you'll find they're all the Institute of International Affairs is the, the British organization that came out of it. They have a Canadian Institute of the same thing, uh, Australian, New Zealand, and so on, once across the world. Other, other countries are called the Council on Foreign Relations, same organization. So they have been at this for a long, long time to bring in a proper world order where you don't have a mind of your own, God forbid. Uh, you have to have the mind that they give you and believe everything they tell you. And then you're stamped healthy, mentally healthy, and uh, you're approved. If you go through the school system, you get your quality approval stamp to take part and, and, and work for them for the rest of your lives and pay lots of taxes and stuff. And it really is like that, and it's getting worse and worse because they're at the end of this stage of it and have a whole other stage to go. Remember Charles Galton Darwin wrote the book The Next Million Years. That's quite the boss, isn't it? So, helps you after the audios. Remember, two transcripts are available for print up on those sites. And if you go into alanwattsentinel.eu, you'll get transcripts in other languages to choose from rather than English. And also to remember you have, that uh, you, the audience, will bring me to you. You can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and, and donate, hopefully. And they'll keep me going because uh, it's really tight right now. I don't have any backing. I could get lots of backing, but then I'd be pestering you with ads all the time and selling you stuff. Um, so I don't have advertisers backing me or paying me or anything like that. I have no shares in any businesses. And therefore, it's up to you, the listeners, to do so. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to buy or donate, you can go into the website, see how to do it. And you can still use personal checks to Canada or international postal money orders or send cash, or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. So that's where we are in the time of quantitative easing, as they call inflation. And uh, we're also going through uh, into austerity. 
And not only that, too, the massive psychological changes are happening in the new indoctrinations of the children to make sure they grow up as, as, as happy peasants. They're called wellness programs. Uh, so it doesn't matter what the conditions that you live in or what you have, you know, with, with goods and so on and services or access to them, you're supposed to be happy. And they're going to bring out whole techniques to make you happy. And using Big Pharma, too, if you're really unhappy, uh, to make sure you should be happy. And it's called wellness programs. And this is all part of the great transition. They talked about this in the Soviet system. The Soviet system has joined completely with the West. It has done for many years, even from the 50s onwards. According to the to, to some of the reports and investigations were done back then. And... Here we are, going through the biggest change, the great transition. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about the big system. The big system we're born into, the system that uh, most folk need, don't even know exists. They live in TV land, they're indoctrinated at school, they think, and you grow up, think, and all their peer group grows up at the same time with the same indoctrination. They all think they're quite sane, and it's quite easy to give uh, a complete reality for every every couple of years, actually. It's funny, back in 1934, I think it was, it was Beria in charge of the NKVD at the time and of the, 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 the Soviet system. Uh, he gave talks to the international communist parties that came over at Comintern. And he said at that time, in 1934, that uh, he, he said, we can now, it should take 70 years, a complete generation, a person's lifetime, to alter society even slightly by massive propaganda and persuasion and techniques and so on. And he said, but now we can do it every three or four years, and it's going to get quicker and quicker. To, to do massive changes all over the map, basically. And that's where we are today with indoctrination in school from kindergarten on. It's really rammed into them uh, at a very young age. The whole green thing, the one world planet idea, uh, we're all one together and all this kind of happy stuff. And lots of balloons and, and clown faces all mixed in with it. And then they go on to school and it's further indoctrinated to them as they went to uh, junior grades. And then they go right through their whole uh, career, in fact, in school. It's, it's the same indoctrination. And, and so many fronts, actually, to remake humanity, especially some kinds of humanity. They've been the enemies or opponents to this for an awful long time. So they must, have, they must be completely remade. But anyway, we know... For instance, that uh, the Communist Party also talked about the ability to, or the need to disarm the American public. Back in the 1920s, they talked about this openly and had it in newspapers. Uh, and because they wanted to really take over America too, get it communistic. Uh, remember, communism, as Stalin said, is, is just uh, socialism in a hurry. For those who don't know, socialism is the same thing. It ends up in the same place. Anyway, they tried to do the same thing in the U.S., mainly in New York City, and had mass rallies there from a lot of recent immigrants from the, from the Eastern Europe, actually, who are all members of the Communist Party. Uh, they even found in its surveys at that time that uh, over half of them had already taken part in violent acts in the countries they come from to try and introduce communism. Anyway, they wanted America disarmed, and it still goes on today. 
because the same thing, the same people who owned communism uh, uh, own it today under many guises, and they're pushing for the same thing to make the world safer for themselves. But anyway, Sandy Hook father, it says, absolutely owns gun violence hearing at Connecticut State Capitol. It says, the father of a Sandy Hook Elementary School student testified January 28th in a working group public hearing at the Connecticut State Capitol on gun violence prevention. This is Tim Brown of Freedom Outpost reported. Bill Stevens made a statement of defiance against proposed asinine legislation that drew applause from some in attendance as he reminded legislators that both the national and Connecticut state constitutions affirm the right to bear arms. He says there's no registration, there's no permitting, there's no background checks, yet he advised the panel, reminding them that rights are endowed by the creator, not you politicians. Isn't that the way of it? So they eventually reverse everything as time goes on. It says, in order to limit the rights of individuals, there's something called due process, and legislation is not due process. Lockdown is not an option at the Stevens residence, and 911 will be dialed after the security of my home has been established, he declared. That is the same security that my daughter enjoys at home with her dad not available at school in Newtown. That is what you should be considering, not making her dad a criminal. That's what he says. There's also a video up there, too. I'll put it up tonight as well on that. And I think he gives a whole talk on it as well. So it just shows you that, no, according to the media, you think everybody was on board with it, but not not at all. That's propaganda. It's amazing how propaganda is so simple, isn't it, to work? Because the mass man, there is such a thing as the mass man. And many of you that, that understand what's going on today used to be part of the mass man until you came out of them and left them behind you. But the mass man really, as I say, takes his reality as it's presented to him. And he takes his indoctrination uh, as it's been presented to him. He never questions anything at all. And he'll go along with the mass, what he seems to be the mass opinion. Uh, and that's so, so propagandists have a great time saying, oh, 90% or 100% or whatever happens to be, go along with this or that or whatever topic. And he'll generally go along with it too, just to jump in with the rest. Doesn't want to be different, you see. But uh, there are the few ones, again, an individuality, remember, they've said at the United Nations, is, is an enemy for world peace. For those who haven't quite got that, why they're going down on the individual. They want you all to be basically like peas in a pod, with the same opinions, uh, same um, almost childlike behavior all through your lives. As you mimic what you see on television, never grow old. Well, you grow old, but you never pretend you're not old. And... Uh, uh, until you die, basically, and just learn nothing. And if nothing, you pass on to the youngsters. Especially that, that's very important. You pass on no wisdom at all to the youngsters. That's why also in the Communist Manifesto, they wanted to to separate the generations. So you wouldn't get oral history coming from Granny, for instance, that uh, she knew from her own lifetime's experience what happened in her lifetime, as opposed to the books that come later that rewrite history. It's happening as we speak, in fact. Many of you out there, I'm sure, have seen and read many, many topics recently, are completely changing all histories of what happened in your own lifetime. Happens all the time. Now, also this article here says, The IFS warns Britain that uh, it will borrow £64 billion more than expected by 2015. Have you ever heard of the government making a projection on the cost of anything, including their own borrowing and being right? Have you ever seen that? never happened. This is Institute for Fiscal Studies, Green, green Budget. I guess it's mouldy. Money's mouldy now, eh? It says Chancellor is borrowing more now and plans dramatic cuts after next election. 
the public sector workers on strike in 2011. It says, shows you all the stuff they were, because they're cutting them back this year. And it says, Britain will have borrowed £64 billion more than expected by the time of the next general election after a weak growth by uh, played havoc with George Osborne's deficit reduction plan. The Institute for Fiscal Studies has warned, well, stop going to wars and stuff. Stop handing out all these freebies to big corporations. Right? All that. Stop throwing money down the hole uh, as you, you fund these uh, so-called uh, novel green institutions that waste money on, on, on silly things that fall apart and so don't work or they go under, go bankrupt. There's many ways to save money. This is the UK's leading tax and spending experts. These are the leading tax. The country's bankrupt. Big experts. I mean, what? What? <laughs> I mean, this is the joke of news, isn't it? Even it was put across. Anyway, the UK's leading tax and spending experts said Wednesday the public finances would be in a worse state in 2015 than permitted under plans made by the previous Labour government to tackle the deficit. Well, the Labour government racked it all up in the first place over many, many, many years. But they're all the same today. There's no difference in, in the parties. Remember, again, they're all an issue of international affairs, have their own historians, and Carl Quigley was one, and he, he had access to their archives, and he said that... Uh, They've always put in uh, the top people in all parties. doesn't matter what party they belong to. They are owned by their own share of international affairs, council and foreign relations. That's why the same agenda goes on. Nothing changes except you get poorer. And also, it's interesting too, the U.S. is really, I've got a feeling they're going to privatize the U.S. Postal Service. I think this is a whole plan that's been cutting back last year and cutting lots of staff, cutting lots of the mail outlets and so on. But the U.S. Postal Service now plans to end Saturday delivery of first-class mail by August in its latest cost-cutting drive. And so it will save $2 billion a year, according to the agency. But the USPS will still deliver parcels six days a week, a service grown by 14% since 2010. But anyway, the whole thing is, everything's getting privatized, isn't it? And um, I'm sure one of the big boys has already got their hands in it, and they'll, they'll take over. They always create a crisis, and then you give it to them for peanuts, you know, the whole system. And also a warning to a lot of women out there, too, because this started at the beginning, actually, with uh, the contraceptive pill, but they're putting pills out today for acne and so on that can actually kill you as well with blood clots. And it says the acne pill for girls that could give them deadly blood clots. French regulators have suspended sales of oral contraceptive hormone treatment. Dianet is called, given to 62,000 women in the UK every year. Usually it treats uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, a hormonal problem. And it says, um, it says also, uh, a comment, it says after it was recently linked to four deaths, regulators in France are suspending sales of the hormone treatment Dianet also used as an oral contraceptive, and it's known to increase the risk of blood clots. In Canada, 11 deaths have been linked to the drug. The European Medicines Agency, which regulates medicines across Europe, announced last week it will now carry uh, out a review into safety. They always, and that will carry on as folk are dying. You know. And UK concerns about the drug were raised following the recent deaths of several young women, amongst them Shannon Deakin in 2011. So, I, I mean, it takes all this time to get me to stop it. 
The 16-year-old from Ho- uh, Hoyland, South Yorkshire, had been prescribed Dianet by her general practitioner for acne and been taken it for around four weeks before she died from an undiagnosed deep vein uh, thrombosis, as deep venous thrombosis, when a blood clot from her leg travelled to her lungs. Very common. Or you get either a, a plug in your brain and you get a stroke. That's another thing that happens too. So anyway, I'll put this up as a little warning for those who haven't heard about it yet, because you never know, there's always folk out there that won't get round to it. Now, you're talking about austerity, and um, it's so easy for the big banking boys to, to, to close down a country, in fact, if they want to, so, so fast. You know, there's about 200 families in the world that put up uh, billions, $200 billion, $300, $500 billion a day in investments and speculation. It could control the whole market flow. And they can close a country down just like that. Back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the guys that run the world and how they can crash countries when they want. They don't just crash countries because it's fun. They crash, well, it's probably fun as well, mind you, but they crash it, especially if they hate the country. But uh, it's also fun for them to, uh, to, to plan it all and see it coming to, to pass their whole great plan with every country that they, they collapse, you see. Anyway, it says, up until now, Argentina's descent into a, into a hyperinflationary basket case with a crashing currency and loss of outside funding. See, well, the, the big boys have been cutting off their funding. They could do it to any country, any time at all. was relatively moderate and controlled. All this is about to change today in a futile attempt to halt inflation. The government of Christina Kirchner announced a two-month freeze on, freeze on, uh, a two-month freeze on supermarket products, it says. The price freeze applies to every product in all of the nation's largest supermarkets, a group including Walmart, Carrefour, Cotto, Jumbo, Disco, and other large chains. The company's trade groups, representing 70% of the Argentine supermarket sector, reached accord with Commerce Secretary Guillermo Moreno, the government's news agency's Telam reported. So it says the Commerce Ministry wants consumers to keep receipts and complain to a hotline about any price hikes they see before April the 1st. Well... As I say, the big boys at the top can cut any country out because, you see, the Bank for International Settlements at the top, it runs the whole world. They run all the central bankers underneath it, all the private central banks. And then their international monetary fund boys are part of the, they, they act part of the heavy to get the cash back and so on. And uh, they, they can cut any country off it and, and cause absolute pandemonium any time they want to, any time at all, to any country. And they're going to use it across the world as we go through into this so-called austerity, forced austerity. So, you know, it'll come everywhere. Uh, when's your time, it'll come to you. Guarantee you. Now, I've mentioned before about uh, Obamacare and all that, that uh, they, he employed the Rand Corporation, paid a lot of cash for them to do a survey on the best system and the, uh, the copy for America for healthcare. And he, the Rand came back, and it's a PDF which I have, but the Rand came back and said they were going to copy Britain's system, which is amazing because it's highly, it looks great on the surface, it's just like there's nothing underneath it. It's pathetic. It's been slashed to the bone. But it says, um, 
here's the, an example of what happens in Britain now. I've mentioned too, you can't even get cataract operations for the elderly and stuff like that. You're just past the age and just too bad, just go and die. But a widow of 81 starved to death after the council forgot uh, about her for nine days. This is Britain. Did nothing when care agency was shut by the police. This is uh, Gloria Foster, 81 years old, was discovered at home, dehydrated and with a faint pulse. She was also suffering from kidney failure and severe bed sores. When found, the pensioner left without four uh, daily nurse visits, which she had before, after Care First 24 was called, was closed. And Surrey is safeguarding adults board has launched an urgent inquiry, although the great inquiries, eh? Anyway... It says, uh, she was stabbed to death after she was forgotten about by the care system for nine days. They just forgot about her. She had a stroke, you see. Stroke victim Gloria Foster depended on agency nurses who visited her home four times a day for food, water, and medication. After the agency was closed down last month for allegedly employing illegal immigrants, her council did nothing to look after her. So they shut down <laughs> the source of her help and just forgot all about her. When someone eventually went to her home in Banstead, they found she, Mr. Fo- Mrs. Foster had all but wasted away. And then she, they took her to the hospital and she died there. So this is the sort of stuff you can see happening everywhere. I understand too when you're, when you're elderly now, uh, you're just, uh, you're a burden on society. They'll tell you that. It depends, mind you, on your social standing in the community. It's been that way for a long time actually. They just don't admit to it openly to the public. And this is a quite an interesting little article too. It says another big lie in the Spielberg Lincoln movie. Now it's true, even in the in the movie called Network, written or oh, come back to the seventies or whenever it was made, about the how the tube the tube the guy calls it would change the world. He says you don't read books anymore. He says he says all your history comes from the tube. And, of course, they give you farcical history. They're always remaking history. Anyway, the author says, I've written of, of how the theme of Steven Spielberg's movie Lincoln, it says that Abe uses political genius to get the 13th Amendment through Congress as one big lie. So I quoted David Donald, the preeminent mainstream Lincoln scholar of her time, as writing in his biography of Lincoln that Abe barely lifted a finger in the effort. In fact, he literally refused to assist the abolitionists in Congress when they requested his help. Even worse, Lincoln did work mightily to get a a first 13th Amendment passed in 1861. It was called the Corwin Amendment, and the link is on here too, that would have prohibited the federal government from ever interfering with southern slavery. Another gross historical inaccuracy in the Lincoln movie that was recently brought to my attention is a scene where it said that Connecticut congressmen voted against the 13th Amendment. Congressman Joe Courtney of Connecticut saw the movie and smelled a rat, so he asked the Congressional Research Service to look into it. They informed him that all four members of Congress for Connecticut voted yes. In other words, the votes were already there. There was no need for Abe to use his political genius to persuade them, as is argued by Doris Cairns, Goodwin Spielberg's historical advisor, in her book upon which the movie is based so it just shows you they're always, you know, if, if you, and it's true, unfortunately, if you see it, another sense is brought in from just reading. You have the sound, you have the, the sight for emotional imprinting on your brain on different scenes. And that, you'll remember that forever. And that's how folk get their histories today. It's all fake. It's all bogus. And we're back with more, too, after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And it really truly is a matrix. It's got many levels to it. And uh, there's many rooms in it and all these different levels. And when you think you've reached uh, the outside, you're not there at all. You're just back in another room. And that's how the world really is run. You have to really question reality altogether because it's so intense these days that folk really haven't a clue what's going on. And back in 98, I talked about Plato's Cave. It's nice to see other folk talking about it now too today. And it's good, a good, uh, if you read Plato's Cave, you'll get an understanding of how you can be kept in a cave and how you can get misperceptions of the shadows. That's all you can see if you're, if you're forced to face the back of the cave. You won't see there's an outside world there. And of course, in his version in Plato, someone eventually leaves and goes outside and travels the world and is astonished and comes back and tries to tell the rest of them who are still staring at the back of the cave. And, uh, and he says, well, that's not, these things at the back, these, these shadows that you see are, are just shadows. There's a sun out there as a, and so on. And they didn't want to believe him because they made a religion around it and everything else. Their whole reality would be shattered. They wanted to kill him. And that's how it really is in reality. It's quite something. Now, Bruce Willis also says he's against new gun control laws that could infringe on the Second Amendment. He says, I think that you can't start to pick apart anything out of the Bill of Rights without thinking that it's all going to become undone. In other words, it's true enough, you start taking one pillar out of it, the rest of the roof gets cut rather weakened. It's easier to fall down with each pillar. So Willis told the Associated Press in a recent interview while promoting his latest film, he says, if you take out one or change one law, then why wouldn't you take all your rights away from you? Well, that is the goal, as any person who thinks can actually come to uh, rather easily by themselves. It's quite easy. Now, another trick that's used in all governments now is omnibus bills, where they ram a lot of things through that were unpopular. Uh, and no one reads these omnibus bills. It's too much. There's thousands of pages sometimes. The U.S. does it. Britain does it. Canada does it. And then what you're employing the politicians for if they can't read it? It's, it's all a farce, you understand, this whole idea of government and democracy. It really is a farce. But I mentioned yesterday about the same sex or gender, as it should be the right term for actually, uh, marriage bill that was put through in Britain yesterday. And it's funny how they put it through, uh, because they put it through along with a building regulation for external retaining and load-bearing walls. And it says, dash, marriage, same-sex couples bill, 5th of February 2013 at 1,852 hours. So it says, Mr. Speaker, you and I know that every marriage is difficult. Indeed, any husband or wife of a member of this house has a distinct set of challenges to face every day. But what marriage offers us all is a lifelong partner to share our journey. Then they go into loving, stable relationships and all the rest of it. And it says the bill enables society to recognize that commitment in the same way, too, through marriage for, you know, all the rest of the people. So it says the question put that the bill be now read a second time, it says. And I also have on this one all the members of parliament that were present and the constituencies that are supposed to serve, what a joke, okay? And who said yes and who said no? And actually most of them are all yes, 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 because they're all yes men anyway, aren't they? You can't get into politics in Britain unless you are woods uh, by the big 
um, lobbyists, especially the political, foreign political lobbyists. I've, I've written, I've read articles before on here about the foreign lobbyists that are the richest people on the planet. And they're all yes men. Otherwise you'd never get in. You never get the cash you run. Now, this article here is almost as though this institute, I don't know, but the, you think they've been listening to me for years, but it says, I've been talking about the new systems coming in according to Carl Quigley, which we all can see today as an age of, uh, especially fascism and as a kind of neo-feudalism, as Quigley had said too, because big CEOs of corporations are in bed with governments. In fact, they go in and out of corporate businesses into the governments and back again, uh, just like a revolving door. And it says, this is, the, this is from the, the Fraser Institute. It says, the age of neo-feudalism, a government of the rich by the rich and for the corporations. And it says, the shaping of the will of Congress and the choosing of the American president has become a privilege reserved to the country's equestrian classes, a.k.a. the 20% of the population that holds 93% of the wealth. The happy few who run the corporations and the banks who own and operate the news and entertainment media, it's all the same people, compose the laws and govern the universities, don't they ever? Because it's very important, as Stalin said, and Lenin too, you to make sure that uh, the teachers are paid awfully well because they're the first ones to indoctrinate. Anyway, control the philanthropic foundations, you know, the, 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 like, like, like Rockefeller and so on. The policy institutes, the think tanks, the casinos and the sports arenas. And that was journalist Louis Lapham that said it. Says the pomp and circumstance of the presidential inauguration has died down. Members of Congress have taken their seats on Capitol Hill and Barack Obama has reclaimed the seat in the White House. The circus of the presidential election has become a faint memory. For most folk it is. There's no, no sense of time anymore because they're, they're always getting bombarded with media and news and watching television. And it's true, they, they, they lose track of time. Even years. It says, now we are left with the feeling that nothing has really changed, nor will it. This is not by accident. The media circus leading up to the elections, uh, the name-calling in the House of Congress, the vitriol and barbs traded back and forth amongst people who are supposed to be working together to improve the country are all components of the game set up by those who run the show. It's true. It's all, it's all a comedy show for you. All the world's a stage, right? It says the movers and shakers behind these engaging but ultimately trite political exercises are the elites, the so-called upper class who benefit from the status quo. The status quo is marked by an economic crisis with no end in sight, by the slow but steady growth of a police state aimed at the lowest rungs of society, and a political circus which keeps us enraptured long enough that we don't question what's really going on. Meanwhile, this elite composed of corporations profiting off our ignorance avoid being brought to task for their destruction of democratic governance and the economy. Well, these guys run the economy, but they always have, you understand. Uh, these are the corporations who set our economy into a tailspin and were then rewarded with taxpayer money. These are the corporations who write laws which eliminate real competition in the market in order to secure their profits, like free trade. It's true, free trade is not for everybody. You know, it's really to, to stop everyone else getting into it, even the small businessmen. Especially the small businessmen. Anyway, it says here, through lucrative government contracts, because they all get profits through government contracts. Now look at, look at the, the articles I've read over the years. On the 10 years in advance, governments will pay the big, um, uh, flu manufacturers of the, of the vaccines. 10 year contracts. Well, that's, a, that's some money that, eh? 
These are the corporations who avoid criminal prosecution and are instead slapped with meagre fines which do nothing to halt their felonious activities. We now live in a two-tiered system of justice and governance. There are two sets of laws, one set for the government and the corporations and another set for you and me. Laws which apply to the majority of the population allow the government to do things like rectally probe you during a roadside stop or listen in on your phone calls and read all of your email messages or indefinitely detain you in a military holding cell. These are the laws which are executed every single day against a population which has up till now been blissfully ignorant of the radical shift taking place in American government. Then there are laws constructed for the elites which allow bankers who crash the economy to walk free. They are the laws which uh, allow police officers to avoid prosecution when they strip search non-violent criminals or taser pregnant women on the side of the road or pepper spray peaceful protesters. These are the laws of the new age we are entering, an age of neo-feudalism, in which corporate state rulers dominate the rest of us, where the elite create the laws which can result in a person being jailed for possessing marijuana, while bankers that launder money for drug cartels walk free. Unfortunately, this two-tiered system of justice has been a long time coming, since the march towards an imperial presidency to congressional intransigence and impotence to a corporate taker of the the mechanisms of government and the divisions of America into haves and have-nots have been building for years. Journalist Chris Hedge is one of the few voices to speak against the corporate state who put himself on the line by making a legal challenge to the president's authority to indefinitely detain American citizens, summarizes the situation at hand. He says, Our passivity has resulted in much more than imperial adventurism and a permanent underclass. A slow-motion coup by a corporate state has cemented into place a neo-feudalism in which there are only masters and serfs. And the process is one that cannot be reversed through the traditional mechanisms of electoral politics. And that's a, I hope you understand that, what you just said there. This process is one that cannot be reversed. It's way beyond that through traditional mechanisms of electoral politics. Since indeed electoral politics are off the table as a means of performing the system. They're so thoroughly corrupted by corporate money that there's no chance even for a well-meaning person to affect any real change through Congress. Just consider the last election cycle. Both parties spent $1 billion each attempting to get their candidate elected to the presidency. The money came from rich donors and corporate sponsors intent on getting their candidate in office. This massive spending was mirrored at the congressional level, where business lobbying soared in the last three months of the year. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce alone spent over $125 million attempting to influence members of Congress, an 88% increase from 2011. Indeed, lobbyists are the source of much corruption and exchanging of money in Washington, and their attempts to woo congressmen only exacerbate the problems inherent to the institution. Jack Abramoff should know, jailed for bribing public officials, the former lobbyist insists that the system is every bit as corrupt now as it was when he was convicted. From job offers for, for staffers and congressmen after they leave Capitol Hill, to taking representatives to sporting events and fancy restaurants, there's no shortage of methods of influencing public officials to, to enact the policies of special interests. According to Abramoff, these tactics are still in use today, and the system has not been cleaned up at all. Once their food is in the door, the lobbyists then offer up language for legislation that is so obscure, so confusing, so uninformative, but so precise as to make passage as easy as possible. 
This legislation cements the privilege of the corporations to do as they please, making all of their dubious activities legal. This lobbying is, is buoyed are buoyed by a congressional lifestyle which demands that our representatives spend the majority of their time fundraising for campaigns rather than responding to the needs of their constituents. In November 2012, the Democratic House leadership offered a model daily schedule to newly elected Democrats which suggests a 10-hour day, five hours of which are dominated by call time and strategic outreach, including fundraisers and correspondence with potential donors. Three or four hours are for actually doing the job they were elected to do, such as attending committee meetings, voting on legislation, and interacting with constituents. When half of one's time is devoted to asking for money from rich individuals and special interests, there's no way that you can respond to the problems which pervade the country, and yet even congressmen in safe seats are expected to fundraise constantly so as to support their colleagues in competitive districts. As Rep. John Larson Democrat Connecticut put it, says this is the milk, the mother's milk of what congressmen or congressmen needs to do to try to sustain their campaigns and it's the only system they have to work with. Thus even well-meaning congressmen face a catch-22 where they're pushed to fundraise to secure their seats but then once in office it's basically impossible for them to do their jobs. The full ramifications of this are laid out by the representative Brad Miller, Democrat, uh, North Carolina. He said any member who follows that schedule will be completely controlled by their staff, handed statements that their staff prepared, speaking from uh, talking points to get emailed from leadership. By the way, forget these guys that get elected. The ones behind them all belong to a much, much higher association. The guys that do make the speeches up for them and handle them, they're the, they're the handlers. I mean, it says really, it really does affect how members of Congress behave if the most important thing they think about is fundraising. You end up being nice to people that probably somebody needs to be questioning skeptically. You won't ask tough questions in hearings that might displease potential contributors, and you won't support amendments that might anger them and will tend to vote the way contributors want you to vote. So the influence of corporate money on Congress is exacerbated by how out of touch congressmen are with the daily struggles of most Americans. And for in February 2012, the median net worth of congressmen was $913,000, as compared to $100,000 for the rest of the population. Aside from being immediately wealthy, congressmen also weathered the tribulations of the financial crisis much better than the average American. An analysis of congressional finances by the Washington Post in October 2012 revealed the wealthiest one-third of Congress was largely shielded from the effects of the Great Recession. But they'll get advance warning, and they'll get shares and things. Of course, they can do insider trading, and they pass a law to allow themselves to do that. While the median, medium, uh, median household net worth of the average American dropped by 39% between 2007 and 2010, the median wealth of congressmen rose 5%. It rose 14% for the wealthiest one-third. This is a time when most people in the country are suffering. Congressmen are profiting. This alone should demonstrate how out of touch our elected leaders have become. Well, they're corrupt. They're all yes-men. As I said, they're all vetted for all their, their, their points of view and so many things that are politically correct these days, you understand. And you've got to have the right answers or, you, or you'll never get to run. They're all yes men. I'm sorry to say that this is the way it is. Anyway, 
It says there's no voice uh, for the American work, uh, working American in the halls of Congress, the American who was promised a life beyond taxes, debt, and unemployment. There's no voice for the peace-loving American, the American who understands that America's military might is meant for defense of the homeland, not looking for trouble in faraway lands. And I should add to that, for, for other countries' benefits. So there's no voice for the American who expects his representatives to abide by the Constitution, who laments the way Congress, the President, and the Supreme Court work together to take away our rights piece by piece. But as I say, the interesting part was it says it's so far gone. It's so far gone. Uh, that uh, the, the traditional way, actually the sentence was, the process is one that cannot be reversed through the traditional mechanisms of electoral politics. You understand what that means? I hope you really, really understand what that means. It's that bad now. Completely taken over. America's taken over. It was a long time ago, actually, by those who came in and bought over the media, gave you all your Hollywood entertainment, got into politics, got all through the universities as professors to teach the far, far left, it appeared to be far left, political correctness and all the rest of it for a new, a new world type system. The, the two over a long time ago, not to run the banks. So there you go. What's the answer? Well, I'm sure other people have different ideas. Anyway, it says, I've mentioned this before too, thousands of Indian women in, in India are having their wombs removed in operations that campaigners say are unnecessary and only perform to make money for unscrupulous private doctors. I'll put this article up tonight. Now, and they give you different, different people that they talk to and so on and their life story and all that. But the fact is they've been conned into it. There's some of them only in their twenties, early twenties, these women. But the fact is it's depopulation program. And it's just surprising this article, this magazine doesn't uh, go in and tell you that. It's part of the depopulation program now that they're into the World Bank and all that. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're going through this matrix as I say because it's well named because that's what we're living in. You have no idea of the amount of behaviorists and neuroscientists and anthropologists and everything else working on your brain and how everyone around you too, all their brains as well to make sure you all get the same indoctrination right through your whole life, right? Every age group is, is catered to and they start very young as well. Now also... Toronto used to be called Toronto the Good until Pierre Trudeau, who was a communist, took over under the Liberal Party. And he, as I say, he, learned, he led the Comintern Young Communist Party of Canada in 1952 over to Moscow. But when he, once he got in on the Liberal ticket, uh, he really transformed everything, left massive debts and uh, broke the old heritage bonds and so on. And uh, it's been downhill ever since, because that was part of the big world's plan, of course. So it was called Toronto the Good up until that time, where anybody could stroll around Toronto any time, day or night. Even children could do it if they wanted to, but they would never get touched, molested, or bothered. That's how it was. But here we have Bunny Ranch brothel owner. Uh, this is the Bunny Ranch. Uh, once he set up shop in Toronto, I'll put that link up tonight too from the Toronto Sun. And so it's a chain uh, of brothels. The guy's got apartment across the states and other, other places. 
and, and Toronto's now, you know, they've thrown out, out the, all the, the body houses, B-W-D-Y, and laws that they had. And so I guess it's legal to have brothels and all that. But Mel Lassman, when he was a mayor of Toronto, said he would do that. He, he took all party councillors over to Holland, the red light district, on the taxpayers' expense, of course. A lot of his relatives, too, went with him. And uh, they're all on the council as well. And he said, well, yeah, we should import this system of red light district to Canada and try it in Toronto. So here it is, folks. Here it is. Also tonight, too, uh, the UK government plans to track all web use. MI5 is installing black box spy devices to monitor British internet traffic. No great thing there because I've been doing it all along anyway by other means and so on. So there's, it's, no, it's no great shock whatsoever. But um, all British traffic now. It says the members of our Parliament's report outlining spooks take on the draft communications data bill, they call it. And it says um, the UK spy agencies want to install black box surveillance devices across the country's communications networks to monitor internet use. That's all internet use and their emails and everything else. But I mean, they've been doing it all along. They also have a, a system called Deep Packet Inspection to log data from communications ranging from online services like Facebook, Twitter, Skype calls, and family members and visits to pornographic websites. <laughs> they should take the whole parliament in there too because they're always getting caught at it. And then I always give you the same story, but civil liberties and privacy campaigners, these are the authorised ones that never do anything, have reacted with outrage saying the technology would give the government a greater surveillance capability than has ever been seen. But that's the agenda, folks. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Anyway, it gives the UK intelligence agencies perspective on the government's draft communications bill, which is intended to update surveillance powers. See, you, you accept it little by little. You adapt and you adapt and you adapt. Then they push it again and you adapt and they push it again and you adapt. And that's how things really are, folks. Rather sad, isn't it? And also, two New York Medicaid executives are pay is sickening, it says. Now, it's, it's supposed to be charitable, non, not for profit. Some of these guys in New York, where else? Uh, one guy's making in $2.8 million in this charitable, not for profit, Medicaid funded organization. And 14 others topping a half a million in pay each, an explosive congressional report has found. And many of them are, are raking in more than 200 grand a year. It's not bad, eh, being in the charity business as folks uh, get tossed out in the street when their insurance runs out. From Hayes, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.